What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Week 6 edition of the Weekly Cheese. The Packers go into Soldier Field and take down the Bears once again. The 22nd victory over the Chicago Bears for Aaron Rodgers. There's a lot to get into. It was a good, solid team victory for the Green Bay Packers. They had to overcome some adversity. Some key players are down on both sides of the football for the green and gold. We'll get into all of that. Plus, one of the cringiest stew nods of the week there have ever been on the show. You're not going to want to miss it. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Weekly Cheese. Super Bowl! 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 What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Weekly Cheese. I'm your host, Joe Ivan. And boy, does it feel good on this Monday morning. The Packers go into Soldier Field, take on the hated, resented Chicago Bears, the the rival, the enemy. They go into Soldier Field, take down the Bears 24-14, they extend their overall record to 5-1, and one, and they take the lead in the division, a two-game divisional lead after the first six weeks of the NFL season. It was a good team win for the Packers. Started out a little slow. Some things happened along the O-line, some injuries. Pass rush, the, the Bears' defense was getting after Aaron to start the game. Things were looking south, but... Packers turned it around for the third straight week in a row. They've overcome a 7-0 deficit. And the Packers keep it rolling. Injured, hurt, run down, and reaching for the reserves. The Green Bay Packers keep the ship moving. They extend their record to 5-1. One of the best teams in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers, 17 for 23, 195 yards, two touchdowns, a rushing touchdown, an absolutely epic rushing touchdown. You saw it. He looked at the Chicago fans and started talking that trash, told them that he owns them, which he does. Aaron Rodgers owns the Chicago Bears, 22-5 and all-time against Chicago, has 57 touchdowns and 12 interceptions in his career playing the Bears, which is absolutely phenomenal. And it really wasn't the most impressive game for Aaron Rodgers numbers-wise. His stats didn't jump off the sheet, just 195 yards passing, only 23 attempts. He wasn't slinging it around the yard. But he was very efficient with the ball. Just six incompletions. Two touchdowns, no interceptions, did not turn the ball over all day long, and a 128 passer rating on the day. He only threw the ball 23 times. Again, really wasn't in the game plan, obviously, going up against this Bears team and their ferocious pass rush, but Devontae Adams still had himself a day. He was targeted a season low five times, but he caught four balls for 89 yards. It was the fewest amount of targets Devontae Adams has received Since week two of last season, when he left the game injured, he only got targeted four times that game, but he left with an injury. 
But despite the small amount of targets, Devontae Adams was able to rack up nearly 100 total yards of offense. He had two monstrous plays that set the Packers up for touchdowns. He had a 32-yard slant on the Packers' first scoring drive of the game, put him inside the 25, set up a touchdown to Lazard, that little nifty flip pass. And then late in the game, when the Packers needed the score, Devontae Adams beat Jalen Johnson one-on-one, gains the 41 yards, gets into scoring position. And yeah, he should have scored on that play if he didn't step out by a millimeter. It was equivalent to Kevin Durant in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals this year. His foot just barely stepped on the line. Tremendous game from Devontae Adams. Baldy said it best. NFL Network's Brian Baldinger, great great offensive lineman. He breaks things down with his uh, play-by-play, but I was listening to him talk about Devontae Adams, and he said it best. Devontae Adams is absolutely peerless. He is the best wide receiver in the league. I mean, the guy's unguardable. Even on a day where the Packers aren't throwing the ball all over the yard and, and he only gets the ball thrown to him five times, 89 yards, the team wouldn't have really been in, in a position to score the ball if it wasn't for Devontae Adams making things happen. The first one is 32-yard slant. He caught it about eight, nine yards from the line of scrimmage, and he just broke free and ran down the sideline. He's just tremendous. Devontae Adams is the best in the league, and... As the season progresses and as Devontae Adams leads the league in all receiving categories once again, I just can't help but think to myself more and more that I hope Goot makes him the highest paid wide receiver in football. If he if Goot doesn't make that happen, is a tremendous blemish on his resume. First game of the year that Alan Lazard Touched the end zone. I mean, three receptions, 27 yards, and a touchdown for Lazard. It was great to see him finally getting involved a little bit in the pass game. Uh, That play where he scored the touchdown, Aaron Jones goes in motion. I know I thought, and I'm sure everyone at home thought, that it was going to be just the standard little touch pass to Jones as he uh, goes in motion and crosses the the center, and Aaron Rodgers' little touch pass. But no, he, he moves in motion. They fake that and just a little flip shovel pass to Alan Lazard for a two-yard little touchdown there. Great play design, great execution, and I like seeing Alan Lazard succeed. It was about time he touched touched in the end zone for the first time all year. I mean, it took him six games to find the end zone, but hey, better late than never. Welcome to the touchdown party, Alan Lazard. Another player who finally we see getting involved a little bit on the offense side of the ball is Amari Rogers. Amari Rogers and Equiminia St. Brown were both integral parts to, to the success on, on Saturday. They, they made plays. I mean, Amari Rogers, uh, he had one catch for 14 yards, but on that play, he ran a little motion and caught the ball. And EQ laid down a very heads up block. Amari Rogers extends the play for 14 yards and gets a nice little round of applause for himself. And Equiminia St. Brown, one week removed from not so great of a performance, particularly blocking, laying down that nice lead block, and then making that touchdown grab in the end zone. Unfortunately, uh, it was one of many horrendous calls by the officials all day for the offensive pass interference on him, on Equiminia St. Brown on that play. Uh, I'm still struggling to see where there was 
any sort of contact that was illegal by Equimini St. Brown. But with that, regardless, great play by EQ. And nice to see him go up and make a sure-handed grab in the end zone and bring that ball down. Uh, sure, that's going to be graded positively for him while they're watching film as a team. And Great bounce-back game for Equimini St. Brown after... Uh, being questioned by not only me, but I'm sure all Packer fans out there after his performance against the Bengals. It was good to see him have a nice game. However, Devontae, Amari Rogers, and Alan Lazard were the only three receivers to catch a ball on the entire day. Uh, outside of those guys, Aaron Jones had four catches, a touchdown, and the tight ends each caught a pass. Mercedes Lewis and Rob Tanyan each had two catches, and, and DeGuara had one catch. The Packers really didn't throw the ball all that much. 23 attempts is on the low side for this Matt LaFleur offense. They usually do run a pretty balanced attack. Um, but they were trying to get the run game going, and they did. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon combined for 135 yards rushing, and each of them produced a big play. I mean, Aaron Jones, 13 carries for 76 yards. Uh, he had a 28-yard carry on, on the day. That was his long. He also had four catches, 34 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, 110 total yards of offense. And A.J. Dillon, 11 carries, 59 yards. And his long was a 36-yard run. Uh, the combo of Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon of uh, lightning and thunder, thunder and lightning, once again, they showed just how effective that they are as a rushing tandem. I mean, during the game and when it's competitive, Aaron Jones is taking the majority of the snaps. He's making his big plays. He's slashing teams by running through them with his quick, evasive running style. Um, he's using his hands as a receiver. He's making, um, he's receiving touchdowns, yards after catch, all that stuff. He's just doing what Aaron Jones does. I mean, we've been watching it for years now. Aaron Jones is a dynamic running back. He could do it all. And he, he does while the game's competitive. Then right at the end of the game when the Packers are trying to milk that clock, uh, get some first downs and really punish teams, A.J. Dillon comes in to seal the game, and, and he breaks the wills of the opposing defenses. I mean, throughout the game, A.J. Dillon, I believe, had six carries early in the game that, that really didn't amount to anything. The offensive line was failing to generate any push, and he couldn't get anything going. Then, at the end of the game, he was just able to break out some big runs, 11 yards, 9 yards, and then, of course, 36 yards. I mean, he is so tough to tackle, especially late in the game. Uh, and the two of them, as a rushing tandem, are just phenomenal. I mean, they, they're they averaging 132 yards on the ground and 52 receiving yards per game over the last three games as a tandem. Um, and as the season progresses... As the offensive line gets healthy and Bakhtiari gets back and uh, Myers comes back and the offensive line gets back to full force, these two running backs are, are just going to shred defenses apart. I mean, coming in, the, the offensive line coming into the, uh, the past three weeks has been compromised. Selton Jenkins hasn't been in there. Bakhtiari obviously is hurt. Uh, we've had inexperience. Basically, four out of the five positions are rookies. So it's been impressive to see the two running backs average such phenomenal numbers over the past three weeks. I mean, 132 rushing yards, 52 receiving yards as a, as a, 
as a tandem is is great. And as the offensive line comes back and the, the offense gets to full strength in terms of the personnel that's out there, these guys are just going to be unstoppable, and I really can't wait to see it. Speaking of the offensive line, coming into this week, uh, there was speculation of whether or not Elton Jenkins would suit up and play. I mean, he, he was questionable throughout the week. He did start practicing towards the end of the week, so the guess was Elton Jenkins would be out there. Um, and there was a question on whether or not he'd come back and relieve uh, Yash Nyman of the left tackle and go back to playing left tackle where he started the season in the with the absence of David Bakhtiari, or if he would come back and play left guard, his primary position, due to how well Yosh has been had been performing. I mean, ultimately the Packers decided to put Jenkins in there at the left tackle, keep Runyon in there at the guard, um, which was a smart move due to the fact they were taking on the Chicago Bears' defensive line, and it'd be a big challenge for Yosh to match up with Robert Quinn, and that would require a lot of attention and help and chips. So they, they put Elton Jenkins out there at left tackle, and it was a smart move. Um, so Yosh did not suit up. He did not see the field this game. But I would like to just point out that Yosh has been feeling confident lately, Um as he should be due to how great he's been playing. And he liked a comment on social media. Uh, the comment stated that Yash was Nick Bosa's father. Uh, it, was a, it was a roast of Nick Bosa propping up Yash for, for the dominant performance he had against the 49ers. It was a hilarious comment, uh, thinking that Yash just dominated Nick Bosa so badly that the internet started referring to Yash as Bosa's father. And Yash liked that comment. And I like that Yash liked that comment because I like that comment as well. And I like to see that Yash is feeling himself, rightfully so, after a few strong performances protecting Aaron Rodgers. But Jenkins was on the field and the Packers started the game with Jenkins, Runyon, Myers, Newman, Turner. Um, Jenkins played well uh, coming back from his ankle injury. He did let Quinn beat him early on in the game there, but he was just getting acclimated. He was getting used to being out there again, and he settled in nicely and had himself a good game. Uh, but it was one step forward and another step back for this uh, Packers offensive line. I mean, Jenkins came back playing well. He returned. It was nice to have him out there. But early in the game, Josh Myers goes down on, with, a, with a knee injury. It was the first series for the Packers offense, and it was tough to see Myers – uh, he, he was on the ground for a while. He did get up and, and limp off the field. He did get up and with his own strength come off the field, however. And it is being reported that the Packers don't expect Josh Myers to miss too much time with this knee injury. Um, my guess is he'll miss a couple weeks. But it was tough to see, especially coming back from his inaugural finger injury the week before. Uh, he, you could just tell he wanted to have a good game and he was going to have a good game with his new uh, finger, with his with his finger inauguration. He was going to come back from that injury uh, a little bit more hardened as an NFL lineman, and he was really going to have a good game. But unfortunately, he goes down with that knee injury, and and Lucas Patrick came in to to fill his place, and and Lucas Patrick stepped up big. Lucas Patrick has proven this season that he is a reliable. Stud off the bench. I mean, he started 
nearly every game last year for the Green Bay Packers. And coming into this season, he found himself in a position battle with some young bucks in, in Royce Newman and John Runyon. And unfortunately, he did not win the starting spot. But now, for the second time, when he is needed, he steps up for this Packers team and, and he plays great. He, he, he rises to the occasion. And Aaron Rodgers said after the game that he sat down with Lucas Patrick a few weeks ago to have a heart-to-heart conversation with the guy. And, and he just expressed to Lucas how much he trusts him and how important he is to this team, and he proved it. Once again, the Packers and, and us as Packer fans cannot be luckier to have a guy like Lucas Patrick on the bench that could come in and seamlessly fill in there at, at three positions. He could play left guard, center, and right guard. And, and, and he's a great asset to have. And personally, just taking the Chicago Bears offensive line as a sample for the, for this I think Lucas Patrick could start on many offensive lines in the NFL. He's a very competent interior lineman, and the fact that he keeps, keeps stepping up is a great sign and, and just is an ode to how, vers- how versatile, deep, and, and strong this Packers offensive line is. And, and credit to the coaching staff, Adam Senevich and uh, Coach Buckus, for coaching them up. The Packers offensive line is the real deal. With that being said, the Bears' defensive line was able to get after Aaron and disrupt the Packers' rhythm basically the entire first quarter and continuously throughout the game. I mean, the Bears, their pass rush, they finished with three sacks. Um, But really, once the Packers' line settled in, uh, they were really able to move the ball. I mean... After the first quarter, the Packers, I believe, had one passing yard and 26 rushing yards or something like that. The Bears' defensive line came to play. Their initial burst of energy in that first quarter was palpable. The Packers were being outclassed to start the game, and it started up front. When Myers went down, LP came into the game, and there was some adjusting that needed to be done. And the Bears, they were getting after Aaron. They were making him uncomfortable. They were, they were sat, tackling him, they were forcing him out of the pocket, and they were just rushing the offense. But Matt LaFleur, he did a good job, he adjusted. The Packers started running some power with their run. They, they were running power runs, and, and they were throwing getting the ball out quick. Aaron Rodgers was throwing quick slants, hitting, hitting Tunyon, hitting Devontae, hitting Lazard on these quick little slant routes, and, and that allowed the offensive line to, to settle in get comfortable and from the second quarter on the Packers went on a 17 to 7 uh, 17 to nothing run uh, they were up 17 to 7 before the Bears were able to score again and the Packers offensive line played admirably John Runyon and and Royce Newman they had rough games um, but all things considered the matchups they had they did an all right job it was the roughest game of the year so far all things considered, they did an all right job. They both missed a few key blocks. I mean, Runyon gave up two pressures, uh, and he continues to show that he's a poor run blocker. Uh, that's why I really thought there was going to be a chance that Elton Jenkins starts at left guard, and they they test their luck with Yash out there at the tackle. 
uh, due to the fact that that would probably open up the run game a little bit and generate a little more push on the inside. So Runyon had a tough game, and, and Royce Newman, he, he had the worst day of the entire offensive line. He was the weakest link of the five guys out there. He gave up two more sacks, um, and it was it was a tough game for him. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, here at the Weekly Cheese, we believe we know what went wrong with Royce Newman and John Runyon um, on Sunday. As particularly Royce Newman, we believe we've gotten to the bottom of why he struggled so much on Sunday against the Bears. And yeah, he had a tough matchup. He had Khalil Mack. He had Hakeem Nix. I mean, the Bears' pass rush is legit. They lead the league in sacks for a reason. So it does make sense why Royce Newman would struggle, but I am certain that he would have played better if they got chicken sliders before the game. I mean, there we looked at the picks of the Packers boarding the plane, and to our surprise, Royce Newman was spotted with no chicken slider luggage towed. Yeah, it was tough to see. It was concerning immediately. The Packers' offensive line was gelling so well and playing at a high level against some really elite pass rushes due to the fact that they were consuming as a unit copious amounts of chicken sliders the past two road trips. And to see Royce Newman approaching the plane uh, with no chicken sliders in hand, it was concerning. And it's tough to it's tough to sit here and think that that had nothing to do with his weak performance on Sunday. Um, it, it was tough to see. And I think Runyon was affected by collateral. Um, since Royce did not supply the entire unit with the chicken sliders, he did not come with the tote in hand. I'm sure that everyone was a little disappointed, and maybe Runyon took it a little to heart, and that's why he let up a couple of uh, missed blocks as well. Whatever it was, I hope next road trip it, it turns around. Luckily, the Packers are home next week against the Washington football team, but then they're on the road right again the week after that. So hopefully Newman has learned from this mistake. Who knows what happened? Perhaps uh, there was a luggage tote conundrum of sorts and uh, it was misplaced at the Chick-fil-A or um, they they ordered too many chicken sliders this time and the entire order was not ready in time for the plane's departure. Who knows what happened? But whatever it is, I believe it will be rectified and addressed. And next road trip, I really hope to see three luggage totes of chicken sliders. That's all I will say about it. Newman, you know you messed up, and it's okay. Who knows what happened, but fix it. Obviously here on the Weekly Cheese, as we talk about the offensive line week in and week out, We've been having the countdown to Bach, and I am. It is with great pleasure that I get to say the countdown to Bach has officially come to an end. Sunday's game against the Chicago Bears was the final game on the countdown to Bach, and David Bakhtiari will officially be able to practice with the team with the hopes to return to action as soon as next week 
getting David Bakhtiari back will allow this Packers offense to finally open up. And I genuinely believe that his presence on the field, getting him and Elton Jenkins back on the left side of that line, is going to th- be be the thing that propels the Packers offense back into that number one slot in the overall offensive rankings in the NFL. I mean, there's no surprise that the Packers offense is going to dip in efficiency, particularly in the red zone, um, with without their two best offensive linemen lined up right next to one another. And when David Bakhti, Bakhtiari gets back in there, I am convinced, I'm guaranteeing that this Packers offense gets back to that number one spot in the league. It is. I'm so pumped to have Bach back. Hopefully he's back in there this week, but whenever he gets back, everything will open up. Running lanes will be... The, the, the running lanes are going to look like uh, free empty freeways for the backs after what they've had to run through over the past couple weeks. It's going to be a breath of fresh air for everyone. And this Packers offense is really going to start to get going. Can't wait to see it. Overall, it was a good day for this Packers offense. They cleaned it up in the red zone. They, they scored on all but one trip to the red zone against the Bears on Sunday. So that was much improved. And yeah, they got the job done. They scored when they needed to. And they could have put three more on them, if not seven more on them, right there at the end if they did not choose to do the gentlemanly thing and, and take the knee, get in victory formation, and just clock the ball. But my prediction in the Packers pregame show on Sunday morning was the Packers win 27-14. And if not for being class acts like they always are, the Packers would have easily scored 27 points there on that final drive. And my prediction would have been spot on. No complaints for this Packers offense. Just more things to come as they start to get pieces back. And it starts with the fact that the countdown to Buck is officially over. And it's important to keep in mind that the Packers' offense isn't the only aspect of the team struggling with injuries. Yeah, the offense is going to get back to full force, and I'm telling you, first overall in the league in, in offensive efficiency when David Bakhtiari comes back and they're fully healthy. But the defense is also very banged up, if not even more banged up than the offense. I mean, the Packers' defense is super affected by injuries at this point in the season, just six games in. And on Sunday, the injury list grew even longer. I mean, Preston Smith goes down just eight plays into the game with an oblique injury, and Darnell Savage leaves the game later in the game with a concussion. I mean, considering all of the injuries that the Packers have faced on the defensive side of the ball, the defense as a whole played a good game. Um, I mean, the Packers' pass rush took a massive hit early in that game with Preston Smith going down. Um, and, and that really just left Rashawn Gary and, and John Garvin. I mean, Rashawn Gary had an, an, another phenomenal game. Five pressures and a quarterback hit. Uh, he finished with the highest defensive grade on the team. And this season alone, Rashawn Gary has 23 pressures this season. He's playing Great football. His motor is so high. I mean, uh, you, we talk about it all the time, how he's always posting those uh, videos of him doing the crazy hand and foot workouts in the sand and, like, 
moving his hands all fast. And he's just a beast. He's a, he's a workhorse. His motor is nonstop. And he plays so hard every single time he is on that field. Um, which is a shame that the Packers are so thin in this position group uh, because the whole game, it's just him and John Garvin. John Garvin was forced to take the starter reps with Preston Smith going down with that injury. Uh, he did have a sack. It was a coverage sack, but he was able to to get to Fields there. Uh, he had a nice third down stop. He uh, Fields scrambled. He stopped Fields short for first down. Um, but John Garvin's not a starter. Uh, he was doing a great job this season as coming in as the rotational pass rusher, uh, 15 to 20 plays a game at most. But but if he's playing in the 40 snaps a game, Rashawn Gary's playing 50 snaps. I mean, these guys exhausted they're playing nearly every single snap and the edge rushing unit was thin going into this game with Zadarius being down and Chauncey Rivers tearing his ACL in practice Um, and Preston Smith going down was just such a huge blow and it was something that could have really affected the outcome of this game and the Packers ability to get after the quarterback Joe Barry was just scrambling to supplement guys in there to to give Rashawn Gary some breaks and 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 give make sure that he's as fresh as possible for late down situations. I mean Joe Barry was throwing Oren Burks on the edge and Jalen Smith was lining up on the edge. I mean Jalen Smith, it was cool to see him out there next to Campbell in the, in the middle of the field. It was cool to see him line up on the edge there. Um, few things to say about him. I mean he did not have the most impressive game. He he had some embarrassing moments. I mean one time he just I guess tried making a rush at the quarterback and he just got completely stood up and stopped in his tracks. It was, it was, he had a tough game, but he's going to get acclimated. Hopefully he starts making some plays as he gets more comfortable in there. Uh, But yeah, it was just, there's really no one available to, to help out Rashawn Gary on that edge. And the Packers may need to look outside the building, perhaps uh, as the trade deadline approaches here, make a move and, try to go get another edge rusher because right now the Packers are thin at that position. There's really no one there, there to help Rashawn Gary and, and John Garvin. They're the only two edge rushers the Packers have on the roster with Preston Smith going down. So hopefully his injury does not persist. Um, and despite the injury to Preston Smith, the Packers, often, the Packers defense was able to finish the game with four sacks. And, and that is strictly thanks to the performance of the interior of that defensive line. During the pregame show on Sunday morning, I stated that Kenny Clark would end up being the player of the game, he was the player to watch going in, and that he was going to be the difference maker when it comes to applying pressure to Justin Fields and getting his hands on the quarterback. And he did just that. He had a fantastic game. He won the battle up front all game long. And when the Packers needed him the most, down the stretch of that game, late in that game, Kenny Clark stepped up big time. He made the big play when the big play was needed. He finished the game with six total quarterback pressures, which is awesome to begin with. But he logged back-to-back sacks on that final Bears drive. Basically, he forced them into a fourth and 26 and sealed the victory for the Green Bay Packers. Kenny Clark made the big play in the big moment, just like big-time players do. And 
he was, in fact, the difference maker on Sunday. Uh, and when this defensive line is affecting the game like they were on Sunday, the Packers' defense looks completely different. Uh, they turn into a legit force. And, and in order for the Packers' defense to play at that level, Kenny Clark needs a running partner. Kenny Clark needs a guy who's going to make a play. And over the past couple weeks, that man has been Dean Lowry. One half of the L brothers, Dean Lowry, has been absolutely getting after the quarterback the past couple weeks. And on Sunday, he finished with a season-high five tackles, and he had a timely sack of his own. Right at the end of the first half, he sacks Justin Fields for 10-yard loss, gets the Bears out of field goal range, and takes points off the boards for that Bears offense that needed the that needed points. They were struggling to get points throughout the entire game. And Dean Lowry denied them of three right there at the end of the first half. Um, and the push that Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry generated throughout the, the, the game was exactly what the Packers needed against Justin Fields, a rookie quarterback. Um, the pressure they were able to give him, the, the pocket collapsing around him, um, Force fields to make some bad decisions. He got some. He threw some ugly balls on the day, and it just made life so much easier for the Packers secondary that is already extremely diminished. I mean, Justin Fields finished the game with 16, 16 of twenty-seven, one hundred and seventy-four yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Um. And really, this Packers secondary that is without Jair Alexander, that is without Kevin King came to play, and they got the job done. The Bears were able to march down the field on their first drive of the game, uh, and they were able they, they got up out to an early 7-0 lead. Um, and on that drive, the Packers' defense was hard to watch. They were getting run on, and, and Fields was having his way. He was in a rhythm. He completed three passes on that first drive. Um, and a big part of that being that Isaac Yadam started the game for the Packers. The Packers started with Eric Stokes, and Yadam, uh, Yadam filled in for Kevin King, and he was abysmal on that first drive of the game. He blew coverages, he gave up a 20-yard completion, um, and then picked up a pass interference in the end zone, um, moved the ball 23 yards down the field, placed it on the one, and, and was the reason that the Bears were able to score that touchdown. Um, and he was immediately yanked from the game, rightfully so. Uh, on the pregame show, we talked that, Yadam is an area of concern that I'm not really all too sure how I feel about him. And quite frankly, I would have had an easier time watching Josh Jackson blow these coverages. I know that it was a last-ditch effort get Jackson in New York and Yadam and Green Bay and hopefully a change of scenery uh, turns things around for these, uh, th th these guys' careers. But it would be easier to stomach watching Josh Jackson get picked apart just because of the fact that we've been I'm comfortable with it and I'm used to seeing it then Yadam get uh lose us a game like this but luckily didn't come down to that after just 9 plays Yadam was yanked off the field and Rasul Douglas one week after being signed to the Green Bay Packers comes in and plays the remainder of the game and ultimately Rasul Douglas did a phenomenal job he calmed that secondary down um, and he played some good football. Rasul Douglas was targeted six times on the day, 
gave up just three receptions for 32 yards, not one touchdown, uh, no penalties, aside from that helmet-to-helmet penalty that just was nullified by a hold. So um, really no skin off the Packers back there. But solid game from Rasul Douglas, and if that's what he can contribute week in and week out, no complaints whatsoever. No complaints whatsoever if that is what we see from Rasul Douglas as Kevin King and Jair Alexander get back into the mix, hopefully, with the next couple weeks. And not to mention, the Packers also signed Quinton Dunbar last week, so even more reinforcements are on the way. But after that first drive, the Packers' defense did a great job, particularly in that secondary, from limiting the Bears' offense, which shouldn't be something to brag about. The Bears' offense is the worst passing attack in the league, but... After that first drive, it kind of seemed like that the Packers had no answer. And to see Rasul Douglas come into the game and really be a difference maker was was encouraging to see. And we're going to need Rasul Douglas to continue with efforts like that um, if this Packers defense is going to continue to get us out of these games. Um, the turning point in the game occurred on the Bears' second drive. Uh, Justin Fields thought he had a free play. Who knows what really happened there? Did look like Kenny Clark jumped off sides, but who know? There could have been a false start easily. Uh, but either way, Fields believed it was under the impression he had a free play. He aired one out uh, to basically no one in the back of the end zone. He let it hang up there. Darnell Savage tracked it down, picked him off. The game's only turnover. And the Packers were able to capitalize that turnover with with a touchdown of their own, tie it up at 7-7. And from that point on, the Packers were going. They were going. Unfortunately, Darnell Savage did go down with concussion, um, which forced Henry Black to to play uh, more snaps as that second safety. Um, Henry, Henry Black didn't play poorly, uh, but he really was not challenged all that often by this Bears a weak pack, passing attack. And hopefully Darnell Savage isn't out for too long. Henry Black will fill in for him for the time being and in the meantime. Um, but the Packers haven't suited up more than three safeties all season long. They haven't had any other safeties on the active game day roster than Amos Savage and Henry Black. So Innis Gaines or Sean Davis will most likely be called up uh, next week to take on the Washington Redskins. Um, it's a, it's a shame to see Darnell go down. Uh, luckily, he will be back, and it's not something more serious. Not to say that a concussion is not serious, but in terms of missing playing time, a concussion uh, is only like one or two weeks, so he will be back. Um, but it's doubly upsetting for me because I just got my Darnell Savage 1950s throwback jersey uh, in the mail not two weeks ago, and next week the Packers are going to be wearing the 1950s throwback against the, the Reds, uh, the football team, sorry, and Darnell probably won't even be suiting up, so I'm a little bummed about that. Uh, no issue, it's still a beautiful jersey that I am the owner of, and hopefully he'll be back sooner rather than later. But overall, the injury-riddled Green Bay Packers defense got the job done. They did what they needed to do to win the game. Uh, yes, there are many things to clean up on the defensive side of the ball, especially in the red zone. I mean, my goodness, all-time bad in terms of red zone defense. Uh, Fifteen times opposing teams have been in the red zone this season. 
They've scored 15 touchdowns, uh, 100% touchdown uh, conversion rate for opposing teams against this Packers defense once they get inside the 20-yard line. Um, 19 straight touchdowns once opposing offenses get within the 20, dating back to last season. Um, just not good once the Packers get backed up into that red zone. Teams are uh, all but guaranteed to find the end zone. So that needs to get cleaned up. Um, obviously, it wasn't a perfect game for the Packers' uh, defense. They still allowed too many rushing yards, in my opinion. A lot of things to clean up. It wasn't a perfect game. But they are injury-riddled, and the fact that a Packers defense without Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Jair Alexander, Kevin King, and Darnell Savage only gave up two scoring drives, that, that is a huge win for the Green Bay Packers, and I'll take that any day. I mean, if if someone were to have came up to me and told me before the season that within the first six games of the year, the Packers were going to be down Zadarius, Preston Jair, Kevin King, and Darnell Savage, I would, I would assume that the Packers were below 500. I mean, how in the world could uh, anyone have envisioned this defense being any productive without all those guys on the field? But they have been. They've been productive. They've been turning opposing offenses over. And aside from red zone scenarios, they've been, they've been a solid defense. They've, they've been middle of the road. Nothing to complain about. They get the job done. And, and most importantly, they've been turning opposing teams over, which is always so important. Um, ultimately, Sunday was a close and gritty win on the road in a very hostile environment for this Packers team. I mean, that was basically the Bears' Super Bowl right there. The, these scrub NFC North teams, all they care about is beating the Green Bay Packers at home. That's all they care about. Uh, it was very obvious by the, the energy that the Bears came out with that they wanted to win this game so bad. Soldier Field was was so loud, you could hear it right through the TV, and the Packers went in there and got the job done. It was their third road win in a row, and and it was, a once again, the type of win that builds character. It, it breeds a winning culture uh, in a team when they have to face adversity and they have to dig deep on their bench. Uh, guys whose names you didn't even know have to come in and make plays. They're fighting through the adversity early this season. And the young, injury injured offensive line, that they were forced to make more adjustments on the fly in the game, and they competed against a great defensive line. I mean, these are the type of games that teams build on and breed a winning mentality in the locker room. And I could not be more satisfied to be sitting at 5-1 and one at this point of the year, considering all the adversity that this team has had to face in the first six weeks of the season. They now have two-game lead in the division. And again, games like this shape the Packers into a better team. And when they get their stars back, I have no doubt in my mind that this team is going to be a force to be reckoned with and mark my words, I'm calling it right now. The Weekly Cheese is calling it right now. Week 6 of the NFL season. Thanks to wins like this. Thanks to wins like Cincinnati. Thanks to wins like Pittsburgh. 
thanks to the wins that we have seen over the past several weeks, once everyone comes back and this Packers team is at full strength personnel-wise, the NFC playoffs will be running through Lambeau Field once again. And that should do it for this Week 6 recap. The Packers taking care of business like they always do against Chicago. It feels great every single time we beat the Bears. Um, Going to carry this great feeling through the remainder of the week. I hope you all do too. We'll reconvene again come Saturday night, Sunday morning uh, during the Packer pregame show right here on the Weekly Cheese. We'll be We'll be previewing the matchup that the Packers have ahead of themselves against the Washington football team. Uh, but before we head out of here, I said at the top of the hour, uh, the top of the show, that we have perhaps the cringiest stew nod of the week this week, and it's going to none other than Russell Wilson. Rival of the Green Bay Packer, yes. I cannot stand Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. I acknowledge Wilson is a great talent. He's a great quarterback. I saw, was lucky enough to see him play in the playoffs in 2019. Uh, I'm actually going to be at the, the Week 10 matchup with the Seattle Seahawks this year at Lambeau Field. I'll be there in November. I uh, can't wait for that. But, oh, my goodness, I hope Russell's back for that, might I add. I hope Russell's back for that game. I would love nothing more than to see the Packers take down Russell Wilson once again. But who else out there saw how cringy Russell Wilson was before the game last night? Yeah, we get it, Russ. You're not suiting up for the first time in your career. Uh, just deal with it, man. Everyone gets hurt sometimes. I mean, geez, did you see that guy out there before the game just, like, pretending to be a quarterback? I mean... He was on a knee, pretending like he was on a huddle. I'll play the I'll play the clip here. You could hear how weird it is. He's talking to himself and he's dripping sweat and He's obviously just doing it for the cameras. I mean, the headline that was made out of it, Russell Wilson never takes a day off. He might be out of the game, but he's not having an off day. Oh, my God, Russell Wilson. So cringy. That guy just makes me sick sometimes with how... Ugh, God, you know what I mean. Come on. Ugh. Stu not of the week. Russell Wilson for perhaps the cringiest thing imaginable. Um... Jesus Christ, I'm just, I didn't see if he got to say anything about it after the game, but if he said anything, I'm sure he cut a superhero-like promo uh, regarding how he takes no days off and uh, all that stuff. But just so cringeworthy. Hate to see it. Russell Wilson, don't do that ever again. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> That'll do it for this week's episode of the Weekly Cheese. Thank you all for listening. If you like the content, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow us on Spotify. Also follow us on Instagram at theweekly.cheese. Follow us on TikTok at theweeklycheese.podcast. And on Twitter at theweeklycheese. 
And as always, remember, the cheese stands alone. I'll talk to you later this week, everyone. Go Pack. Come on.